Welcome to the Grace Vineyard Podcast, where we are building growing communities of worshipers who are becoming like Christ, empowered to do His work. We hope you enjoy this message. By the way, I'm Ron. If I haven't met you, welcome to our humble home. We're so glad you're here. It's good to worship together. It's good to be together. We are in the fourth week of a um, series that is a, it's topical. We're not reading through a book of the Bible right now. Sometimes we do that. But we're taking a phrase from a particular um, verse in the Bible that talks about what leaders in the body of Christ are for and doing it. So the, the phrase is from Ephesians 4, and it says that God gave Jesus, really what it's saying, in context, gave these different leadership gifts in the body of Christ. Apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. God gave them as gifts to his body for the purpose of equipping the saints, that's all of us, for works of ministry. So we're doing um, training, so to speak, for the army of God. You are the audience of God, right? No, you're the army of God. You are called to a purpose. Jesus has a plan for this planet. He always chooses to partner with people to accomplish his plans. You're the people, along with a whole big family of people all over the planet. But you're the people here. And so we are doing equipping training to do and be what we're called to do and be. I'm going to give you a quick review so that we're all on the same page and um, if you're like me, you don't remember what you had for breakfast yesterday. Certainly, you don't remember much about what you learned a week ago, right? So maybe you do. Maybe you're smarter than me. But let me, let me back up three weeks ago. Let's see, four weeks ago? Because this is the four, four weeks ago. So the first week, we read that verse, and we said, well, what are the works of ministry that we're being equipped for? And we read a bunch of works that Jesus did. The works of ministry are the works of the ministry of Jesus. There's no other ministry, by the way, than the ministry of Jesus. If you're a disciple of Jesus and you're called to ministry, guess which ministry you're called to? The ministry of Jesus. He set it all up for us. There's not a lot new in the world. The foundations are there. The instructions are there in the Bible, ready to go. It doesn't change a lot. And we read a bunch of things that Jesus said and did 10, actually, through the beginning of Matthew. But then we read a summary statement that goes like this. Matthew 9.35, Jesus went through all the towns and villages teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom, healing every sickness and disease. That was kind of the works of Jesus, preaching the good news that the kingdom of God is now near. It's now accessible. It's available to anyone. The rule and reign of God is available to you through Jesus. You can enter into the life of God's kingdom, sometimes called the kingdoms of the heavens, now. And he saw the people that were harassed and helpless like sheep, wandering around without a shepherd to guide them, without a shepherd to protect them. So the next sentence is he turns to his disciples and says, you know what, there's not enough workers to do the things that I've been doing. Not enough workers to go from town to town preaching the good news and healing the sickness. Not enough workers. So why don't you pray that God would send more workers into his harvest? And then he said, next breath, next sentence, come here. Come here. 
Someone help someone with their phone. Come here. Not you, no. <laughs> help me, Steve. He said, come here to the apostles. And he gave them power and authority to do the works that he'd been doing. There you go. Sometimes technology is helpful. Sometimes it's a pain. He called the 12 next to him and said, you're the answer to the prayer that I just asked you to pray. And he gave them power and authority to do the things he'd been doing. This is what we studied in the first week. We talked about power and authority. Here's the language. When Jesus had called the 12 together, he gave them power and authority to drive out all demons and to cure diseases, and he sent them out to preach the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. Same thing he'd been doing. And lest we immediately think, oh, well, that's good for Jesus because he's the son of God, and that's good for the 12 apostles because they're the 12 apostles, but that must not apply to me. The next thing we read was that later he grabbed 72 more. That's a lot of people. 72 more people who had no names, brought them to himself, and gave them exactly the same instructions, and gave them exactly the same power and authority, and sent them out saying, preach that the kingdom of God is now available, and as you're going, heal sick people, drive out their demons, do the works of this ministry that I've been doing. And then we read, you know, that actually this applies to us today. We read the Great Commission, where Jesus tells those disciples, now you go and make new disciples and tell them to do everything that I taught you to do, and also tell them to make other disciples who will tell them to do what I told you to tell them to do in a self-replicating way, until here we are, many generations later, disciples all over the world called to do the works of Jesus Christ. This is something that's often missing in discipleship in Western Christianity. It's not missing in Africa. It's not missing in Asia. They're doing the works of ministry there. And the church is exploding. In the West, often we think that it's about studying and memorizing and learning things and not doing anything. But there's ministry to be done. And as disciples of Jesus, we are called to, in faith, step out with the authority and power that he gave us to do the things that he called us to do. That was the second week. The third week, which was last week, no, that was the first week. The second week, which is two weeks ago, we talked about this concept that Jesus sees a perspective that when he's coming and bringing healing, proclaiming good news, caring for the poor, he's doing so as an act of war against the kingdom of the usurper, against Satan and his minions and all the oppressive work that he's done in the world. And we saw it over and over. We read several scriptures where Jesus was attacking the strongholds of Satan. And we understood, we didn't cover it a lot. We could have done weeks on this, but we are in a battle. So when we are doing works of ministry, we are coming against the power of Satan. When we see someone who's under oppression, we see someone who's been given over to addiction and confusion and craziness in their life and all that's going on, we understand that there's also a force behind it. And when we come with the gospel of Jesus and the power and authority of Jesus, we're attacking the strongholds of Satan. That's a perspective that's really important as you, the army of God, are being equipped to do the works of ministry. Are you with me? Yes. 
All right, Lori, you gave me a good yes there. Wow. All right. So then last week, anyone here last week or watched last week? So we modeled a way to pray for people so as to facilitate an encounter with the living God. You might remember that. And so earlier, Sharon, who's an incredible intercessor, just led us in intercession. And we pounded the gates of heaven for the Davis family. We saw all these needs, and we called out to God. And that is powerful. That is part of the work of the army of God. That's one kind of prayer. The other kind of, another kind of prayer is where we help someone engage with the Holy Spirit. In some way, we're kind of a bystander connecting to, but we're also engaged in it. And we saw how that, that way of praying can bring some, bring some powerful blessing and powerful healing as we invite the Holy Spirit to touch someone and come upon them and do amazing works. And if you didn't see that, um, I think I may have even put I did. I put it on our, our YouTube channel, the video of it. So if you have YouTube, you can watch it. If you have um, podcasting software, you can listen to the podcast. You can go to the website. It'll all be there. So that was last week. Now we get to this week. And we're, we're, this week, I might say, sort of surprised me. So I'm in this journey with you, and I'm, I pray, and I seek, and I think, what's next, Lord? And I was sort of surprised when, when this talk developed in my prayers and studies. But we're going to talk about an essential part of Jesus' plan to bring transformation to the world. Now, keep in mind something we've said often, but I'll say it again until we, until we know it. Like a knee-jerk, we know it. What is God about? The things that we do in ministry are not just to be busy to be doing things in ministry. And they're not just to help the person in front of us, although they are to help the person in front of us. There is a vision in the Bible of an end game. There is a description of a future. And the things that we do in ministry are all a part of Jesus' vision, of God's vision for this planet. And it's helpful to catch that vision. God has in mind a world that we're going to experience someday, and we're tasting of it now more and more, and I pray to God that we experience it more and more. A world where people everywhere know Jesus and worship him with their whole lives. The result is peace. The result is provision. The result is kindness. The result is the end of war. The result is the end of divorce. The result is the end of abuse and oppression and racism and all the things that we don't like. That comes about when people have given their entire lives to worshiping Jesus and knowing him for who he is, being transformed into his likeness, learning to do what he did and do it, the kind of things we're talking about right now. Here's a, a one-sentence description of that, one of my favorite verses in the entire Bible. It's quoted both in Habakkuk. Isn't that a fun word to say? You know anyone named Habakkuk. If you're looking for a unique name for your son, try Habakkuk. He'll be the only one in his class. Habakkuk was a prophet. This is also 
quoted verbatim in one of Isaiah's prophecies, but listen to this. It is so hard to keep your phones off, isn't it? <laughs> Probably not a good time to be browsing the web right now. <laughs> Prophet Habakkuk. For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of God as the waters cover the sea. Notice, the earth is already filled with the glory of God. The earth is not already filled with the knowledge of the glory of God. It's a very important distinction. That's one of the reasons we're doing what we're doing and equipping us as an army, so that the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of God. Knowledge is experiential. It's not just having something that you could memorize and fill a test form out on. No, it's, it's something you experience, you live in. The knowledge of the glory of God will fill the earth as the waters cover the sea. And then Paul the Apostle, in writing to the New Testament church at Corinth, uses that same language with an additional phrase. This ties it all together in my mind and gives me a sense of our vision and our mission as Christians today. He says, describing what it's like when you come into salvation, into new birth, he said, for God who said, let there be light. Remember at the creation? God who said, let there be light, and there was light, made his light to shine in our hearts. If you know Jesus, if you've been born again, it's because God said, let there be light in your heart. And he gave you the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Do you get it? Kind of. As people like you and me are going through life, and helping others become followers of Jesus, and opening up the Bible with them, and reading with them, and learning the ways of God. It is spreading out that people are experiencing and knowing the glory of God, having the knowledge of the glory of God in their experience of relationship with Jesus. This is how it's being filled out. As the church does her work, the earth is being filled with the knowledge of the glory of God. So how will this be done? Well, that's what I'm talking about today. What's God's master plan for transforming the world with this, this, this vision of people everywhere knowing Jesus, worshiping him with their whole lives, knowing his goodness, and living out of that goodness? You with me? This is, this is, uh, this is really, really important. When we get this, our lives are changed. My life has been changed by progressively Growing this, but I'm going to growing in this information. But I'm going to start with something to pin, to load your, to pin the bulletin of your mind right now to load into your active memory as we're thinking. Anyone ever heard of Aesop's Fables? You have? Can you name one? Tortoise and the Hare. Thank you, Matt. Aesop's Fables. Aesop was a guy that wrote. Children's fables around 600 BC. And you know what a children's fable is? It's a disguise. It's a philosophical, a moral concept, truth, disguised in a children's story that's easily understood. So you know the tortoise and the hare. Thanks, Matt. That's the one where the, they're in a race, and you think that the hare, the hare, rabbit, is going to win the race. He's cocky and fast. 
the tortoise is slow and steady. And as you know in that story, the tortoise, the turtle, wins the race. It's a, it's a brilliant children's story. And there's a great concept there. The one I have in mind is the goose that laid the golden egg. This, there's so much truth in here for the church. So, you ready? Okay, here's the story, Lori. It's just you and me right now. You're like in it. There was a farmer. And one day when he was going to collect his eggs from his hens and he saw that, that nasty old goose on his farm, the goose was sitting in a nest like it was nesting, laying eggs. It had never laid an egg before, but he went and looked. And there was an egg made of solid gold. And goose eggs are pretty big. He was stunned, and he took the gold egg to the assayer's office, and sure enough, it was pure gold, and he sold it, and he was getting rich mighty fast with one egg. He couldn't believe his luck, his fortune. Well, the next day, when he went to collect his eggs, guess what? There was another golden egg. He couldn't believe it. Do you know this story? It's just phenomenal. So, you don't know this story, Lori? Oh, well, hang on. You're going to like, this is like hundreds of years, thousands of years old. So... Farmer, shall we name him? Farmer John. Farmer John, day after day, is now filthy rich with these gold eggs from the goose. He has torn down his silly old farmhouse and built a mansion. He has big screen TVs all over it. The finest leather furniture. I don't know if Rolls-Royce makes tractors, but if they did, he owns one. Lamborghini tractors, okay. <laughs> so he can't believe it. He's getting richer and richer. He's very happy, but you know what comes with riches is greed sometimes. And he, one night as he was thinking about what he'd like to buy next, was thinking that goose only lays one egg a day. I, I, can't, I can't wait any longer. Do you not know this story? So he comes up with a plan. And the next morning he takes that geese kills it, and opens up its stomach to get all the eggs out so he could have it all now. And what happened? No eggs. And the goose is dead. Have you not heard this story? The foolish farmer killed his egg layer. Hold that in your mind. So I'm going to try to use it in connection with what we're talking about today. At least a little bit. And if it doesn't work for you, you can, you can shoot me later. I want you to consider two places where Jesus describes what he's about. Here's one. Luke chapter 4. Jesus stands up in the synagogue and he says, quoting from the prophet Isaiah. This is Michael Aplikowski's favorite verse, I think. He uses it in his ministry to understand what we're about. He says, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he's anointed me to preach the good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, recovery of sight to the blind, to release the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled the scroll that was given to him. He gave it back to the attendant. He sat down. The eye of everyone in the synagogues were fastened on him, and the synagogue was fastened on him. And he began by saying to them, today this scripture is fulfilled in your ear. It's a wonderful picture of Jesus proclaiming good news, healing sick, opening blind eyes, releasing the oppressed. It's, it's a description of the ministry and the works of Jesus. Consider that one. Now, next to it, consider this one. This is in Matthew 16, 18. I'm taking 
part of a sentence just to give you the thrust of it. I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Well, which is it? Are you healing the oppressed? Are you opening blind eyes? Are you setting prisoners free? Are you preaching good news to the poor? Are you building your church? Which one's better? So, just to start with, if you'll you'll give me permission with your mind and not be mad at me, I would say, using Aesop's fable, that if the gold eggs are the works of ministry and the healings and the deliverances, and the preaching good news to the poor, and the binding up brokenhearted, then the goose that produces those golden pieces is the church. So Jesus' plan to do his works throughout the world until the vision we started out with was accomplished, until the earth is filled with the knowledge of the glory of God as the waters cover the sea, is to build his church. You are his plan. The church is his secret weapon. The church is really important. And we're going to read some things about the church. But it is the church who, when it's healthy, does the works of Jesus throughout the world. What's the church? It's, it's the gathering of followers of Jesus who gather together like this, but all around the world. Small gatherings, large gatherings, gatherings in homes, gatherings in cathedrals, gatherings on street corners, gatherings under bridges, gathering together, very important, to worship God together, created for community, to become more like Christ as they're growing together in their community, and then together to go out into the world doing the works of Jesus and inviting people to follow Jesus with them, thus growing the community of the church who's gathered together to worship God, to become like Christ, to go into the world, to gather people to follow Jesus with them, to worship God, growing and growing until the earth is filled with the knowledge of the glory of God and the face of Christ as the waters cover the sea. Did you catch all that? Or did I talk too fast? <laughs> with me. So here's some things that the Bible says about the church. Listen, the church is not secondary to the Great Commission. It's not peripheral to the Great Commission. It is central and primary. Here's from 1 Timothy 3.14, description of the church. If you don't know how valuable the church is, listen to what God thinks of the church. Paul's writing to Timothy about the church. By the way, the entire New Testament that you have in your hand, if you have a Bible, is about the building of the church. Think about it. First, Jesus declares the gospel and begins to build his church. He promises them, I'm going to go away, and then I'm going to establish my church by the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And from the beginning of the book of Acts to the end of Revelation, it's all about describing the church, describing what the church did, and then um, helping the church become the church of Jesus Christ. That's the whole New Testament. Although I hope to come to you soon, Paul writes to Timothy, who's left in Ephesus, I am writing to you these instructions so that if I'm delayed, you'll know how people ought to conduct themselves in God's household, which is, I slow down now, here's what I want you to hear, which is 
the church of the living God, the pillar and the foundation of the truth. Wow. God views his church as the pillar and the foundation of the church. It's, it's kind of good to note, by the way, that some things, th- sometimes things that are foundational and essential in your life or in some activity or in some, some great work are invisible and neglected. You know, the foundation of your house you don't see very often, but it better be there. And the electricity and the wires and the plumbing that are hidden in your walls, you don't see much, but you'll know if they're not working. You need some things that are invisible, but sometimes they get neglected. Sometimes the, the reality of what we're doing as a church, we don't even see that. It's the thing. It's the engine that's driving the whole vehicle. Did you ever get a new car and love driving it? Or a new van to, to haul your family around and to haul the baseball team, gear? You know, It's so fun to have a new vehicle that you might not be thinking that it's really important there's an engine hidden under that hood. And you better take care of it. Even though you're enjoying the new leather interior and that new car smell and going fast. You can't see the engine, but it's really important. The church is the engine. It's very important that the church be healthy. Now watch this. This next, this next scripture is just mind-blowing if you sit back and think about this concept. This is Ephesians 3.10. His intent, God's intent, was that now... Through the church, the manifold wisdom of God, the, the many featured, the many sided, the full range of God's wisdom through the church should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms. This is cosmic level revelation. His plan is that God will make known to the cosmos, to the angels, to the demons, to all of the powers in the heavenly realms, his wisdom through the church. According to his eternal purpose, which he accomplished in Christ Jesus, he values the church so much that it's his plan to reveal the treasures of his wisdom to the world and the heavenly realms through people like you and me. Church is really important, really precious to Jesus. Let me give you one more picture of the church. This one takes a little more to explain, but you, you were with me when we read Nehemiah, and we, we saw that the, a time came when the temple of God was destroyed by the Babylonians, the people were exiled. The temple of God was marked by the living presence, the glory of God. It was known for its glory. The presence of God. At times it was so thick in that temple that the priests themselves couldn't even stand, the Bible says, because of the glory of God. And multiple times throughout the Old Testament story we see that there's this revelation, this manifestation of some kind of glory that's even visible. At the destruction of the temple by the Babylonians, that glory was removed and it never came back. When the exiles returned in Nehemiah's time and they rebuilt the temple, the prophet Haggai writes, you can read this in chapter 2 of Haggai, you've got this new temple, but does it look like you, to you like there's no glory? And they're like, yeah, where's the glory? They weren't experiencing it. And he prophesied the day is coming that God 
would come. The desired of all nations will come and fill this temple with his glory. And they were waiting for the return of the glory of God. And there's a mystery about this that has everything to do with you. And Paul writes about it to the church at Colossae. And this is what he says. With that backdrop in mind about the glory of God. Colossians 1.25. I have become the church's servant by the commission God gave me to present to you the word of God in its fullness, the mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations. I'm coming, Paul said, to reveal to you something that's been hidden for generations and is now revealed, but is now disclosed to the saints. To them God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the church, the hope of glory. The thing that Haggai prophesied is fulfilled in the church, gathered together, worshiping God, where the presence of God dwells by his spirit. When we're doing the works of Jesus out in the world, when we're loving each other and forgiving each other, because we have to forgive each other because we hurt each other, like Jesus forgave us. Something of the glory of God can be manifest, and sometimes you've experienced it in corporate worship. The presence of God. That's what God thinks about the church. Now, it's also really important to know This is really important for American audiences. I don't know if any of you need to know this, but just in case. There is zero concept in the New Testament of a Christian who's not part of a church. That does not exist. It doesn't exist. There's no thought that anyone could follow Christ without being part of the body of Christ. That's an American idea that is completely anti-biblical. Oh, I can worship God in my fishing boat. Well, you can, but you're not part of the body of Christ. And to be a Christian is to be a part of the body of Christ. I hope I didn't step on anyone's toes there. It got real quiet. Not enough amens, I think. Let me read to you out of um, a book by David Watson. David Watson, uh, some of you would know his writings. He's the one who writes especially about the multiplication of the church all over the third world through Discovery Bible Studies. Um, He writes, This sense of Christian community for all disciples was so strong and fundamental in the first century that salvation apart from the church was considered impossible. When individuals were added to the Lord, they were added to the church. When they belonged to Christ, they belonged equally his body. That's how much Jesus values his body. Now, the goose that laid the golden egg that the farmer killed to get the gold. The farmer was obviously a fool, but he also would have been really foolish not to take care of that goose. Now, if I had that goose and I wasn't a fool, I would make sure it was fed really well. I would make sure that it was protected really well. I wouldn't let any wolves get near that goose, right? This is my goose that lays golden eggs. I'm going to take care of it. I would do everything I could to care for the goose. Are you okay being thought of as the church as the goose? (laughs) Listen to Jesus' heart for the goose, Jesus' heart for the church. This is Paul's letter to Ephesians. The Ephesians, husbands, love your wives just as Christ Love the church. When a husband loves his wife well, the church is to, model, to follow that model. 
Can you picture a husband loving his wife? That's how Jesus loved the church and gave himself up for her. In this way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one hated his own body but feeds it and cares for it, just as Christ feeds and cares for the church, which is his body. Jesus loves the church. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife. The two will become flesh. This is one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but... I'm telling you about the church. That's what I'm talking about, Paul says. Not phenomenal. Jesus loves his church, and so should we. It is his plan for transforming the world. And when you get a hold of this, if you do, I'm telling you, it will change your life. Like, let me just dial in a little more, help you understand something. Um, I've been around Christianity and church life since I was born, and I'm 57. Um, I love the church. I love worshiping with you. I, I used to play church when I was a little boy. Set up little pieces for the people. I'd take the offering <laughs> with the play money. I was the pastor when I was five. I'm telling the honest to God truth. I love the church. I remember in the 1990s, actually going into the early 2000s, there was a move of the Holy Spirit where the presence of God was so thick in the worship gatherings and people were shaking and quaking and falling down. And some people thought, well, I'd like more of that. And in some cases, they killed the goose. They said, let's just cancel all the stuff that the church does for health and just do those meetings. Let's just come together and have Holy Ghost renewal meetings. And the warnings came from leaders saying, do that, but don't stop the main and plain. Continue to read the Bible and study the word together. Continue to take care of the poor. Continue the, the main things. Of the, and I, I was part of a church that died because they killed the church to get the golden egg of the Spirit's presence. Does that make sense? That's one way you could do it. Another thing that happened around America is churches begin in, the, in the, this century, this millennia, millennium, thinking we need to do more care for the poor. We need to do more social justice. So there were some churches that had, you know, buildings and staffs, and they had incredible congregations and said, why don't we just sell all that stuff? We don't need to meet together, and we'll do poor work. That sounded so wise, so good. And they killed the church, and then the poor stopped being cared for. Were that beautiful body that did have structure and it cost money to have a building and to have a staff who were making disciples who were helping people grow in christ were helping people think about taking care of the poor just faded away and the poor were no longer taken care of that's how you could kill the goose to get the egg the church is really important another thing people do this i hear it all the time you know brother i take my tithes and I give it to my favorite charity because that's a good work and that's where I should spend my money. That's 
inappropriate. The church of Jesus Christ exists for a reason. It's the engine that does all the works of the ministry of Jesus. And all those works and those organizations are great, and we support them. But we don't take away from the primary to do the side thing. Does that make sense to you? I felt like I stepped on another toe there when I said that. (laughs) Back to Matthew 16. I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against her. When Jesus said that, he was in a conversation specifically with Peter in front of his disciples. And the next thing he said was, and I'm going to go to the cross and lay my life down. I'm going to lay my life down to build the church. If you understand the story. Peter comes and says, oh, that, may that never be. Lord, we don't want you to die. And you know the thing where Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. You know, from one moment, you've got the revelation of the Father to get behind me, Satan. And he says this. This is the context is I'm building my church. If anyone wants to follow me, he needs to lay down his life and follow me. To follow Jesus is to do what he's doing. It's my impression, maybe I'm wrong, but it's my impression that we who follow Christ are to lay down our lives for the things that he lays down his life for. And because of that, I believed long ago that I ought to lay down my life to help build his church. And when you get that concept, you have the potential to help bring health to a body who will do the works of Jesus and everything flourishes. Do you think that way? Primary and central. You wake up thinking, how is my life building his church? You see something wrong with the church. You don't think, how can I criticize that more effectively and get on the phone and maybe write an article and tear the church apart? You think, how can I build it? How can I fix it? How can I be part of the solution? How can I help this incredible body that Jesus gave his life for, that he loves, that is his way of doing his works in the world today? I'm going to build, I'm going to bless, I'm going to pray, I'm going to spend my life on what Jesus is spending his life on. If I understand this, I spend my life serving in the body of Christ. I spend my money on the body of Christ, my tithes, my offerings. I spend my time. And you never lose out when you do. You never lose out when you do. Um, (laughs) One of the most overlooked geese (laughs) that produces golden eggs It's children's ministry. Do you know that most people who become followers of Jesus do so between the ages of 4 and 14? If we knew that and knew that one of the biggest investments and the most fruit-producing investments I can make to bring the gospel of Jesus to the world is to pour my life into children and young people, then there would be no begging for people to work in Sunday school. Because we'd be thinking, there's an opportunity. I might get to touch a child who will change the world. Now, this, catch this. This was amazing to me. This is some confirmation. Last night, I'm thinking about this and thinking I want to say what I just said to you. My Facebook messenger goes, bing, and it's, it's kind of late at night. And I get a message from someone who I haven't talked to in maybe decades. 
who lives in South Dakota, who was a child in this church. And he said, I just want you to know the fruitfulness in my life because of what you and others like you did when I was a child. Last night, a man who's in his early 30s, I think, who was a child here coming to Christ. It was before Miss Debbie was our Miss Debbie. I think Miss Susan was the Sunday school teacher. And his life was changed. And he told me a little bit about what he's doing now to produce fruit, to produce gold. When I was, how are you guys doing? I'll just, I'll just share my heart with you a little more deeply, my story. And some of you know my story. But I, I think it's worth sharing. Um, when I was 14 years old, 43 years ago, when I was 14, I might have been 15, but I think it was the fall. I turned 15 in December, sophomore year of high school. The time came to begin thinking about what will you do when you go to college? What kind of career might you choose? What should you do? And I told you I loved the church. I played church when I was a little boy. And if there were anyone who would be the guy to go to Bible college and, and prepare to become a, a professional minister, a pastor, or someone in ministry, I was the guy. Clearly, I was the guy. But I knew that that was not something someone could choose as a vocation. That would be absolutely illegal spiritually. I was certain of that at 14. No one can choose to go into ministry. That's the call of God. Don't tamper with it. I knew that. So I thought, I'll pray. And I asked the Lord, would you like me to go? <laughs> Looking at you, Trey, and I'm thinking, <laughs> we were together in youth group at that time. We were both sophomores together in Phoenix. Um, I prayed, and, and I didn't hear yes. I thought, oh, I guess that, that's not what I'm going to do. I'm not going to be in ministry. And sorry if you've heard my story. I don't want to bore you with it, but it, it may be helpful to, to grab your heart. So I said, okay, Lord, I'll go find some other career. Computer science sounds interesting, so I went and got a degree in computer science. I said, I'll find some other career, but I commit to you that I will spend my life serving you in your church with all that I have for the rest of my life. And I set about to do that. I thought, well, I can play the piano. That's what I'll do. And I played the piano. And then I spent a lot of money on stuff for the church. Over the years, I think I've spent hundreds of thousands of dollars now that it's been 40-some years. I know it's over 100000 because I've done the math. I spent my waking hours. Sometimes when I was a student studying computer science and occasionally working one to three different part-time jobs, I spent my sleeping hours by not sleeping and serving the church. Because I thought, oh, you're supposed to lay down your life for what Jesus lays life down for. I was certain, well, the, the, the pastor thing had gone. So I was like you, serving Jesus without a paycheck. So I got another paycheck. And I can tell you this looking back now. 
four decades later. The only thing that I might do different is I would serve more fully. I would never change that. It's the best investment of my time and my money and my talent and my energy I've ever made. And I've gotten so much more reward out of laying down my life for Jesus and his church than I've ever. I've gotten more reward back than I've spent. I'm challenging you people who are hearing me today online, in person, to maybe have a shift of thinking. The church of Jesus Christ is central to his plan for the world and primary in our priorities so that it becomes central and primary in your heart and in your priorities. Whether it's this church or some other church, the church of Jesus Christ, the people that are gathered together to do the works of Jesus. You know, I think I skipped over a quote I wanted to read to you. It's so worth reading. I wonder if I can find that. Maybe it's gone. You guys, I'm almost done. Can't find it. This goes something like this. Lloyd Ogilvie is saying, my best definition of the church is the people who are called to be to each other what Jesus has been to them so that together they can be to the world what Jesus has been to them. Party in the lobby. <laughs> Um, you know, one of the things you can do to make the health and the growth of your church central is to invite people to follow Jesus with you. You have that, that picture of the, the invite card? I, I gave um, the guys for the projector a picture of the invite card that's out there. This is a tool for you. They have stacks of them when you leave. They're always there, by the way. One, invite Jesus, invite people to follow Jesus. Two, invite them with one more word. Would you follow Jesus with me? This is how Christians have done it throughout history. We invite people to follow with us. And the one that you are helping to become a follower of Jesus, guess who the discipler is? You. You're the one who says, hey, how's it going now that you've invited Jesus into your life? How can I pray for you? How is your family? What did your wife say? Let's go grab some coffee. Have you ever seen a Bible? Let me open up the Bible to you and show you the kind of things it says. It's a really confusing bunch of books if you have no idea what's going on. We'll read it together. You, you disciple them. You follow, they follow Jesus with you. When you're doing that, you're helping them grow into the body of Christ to help the body of Christ grow into fullness and maturity to do the works of Jesus in our world until the world is filled with the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. See how this works? This is the plan. The plan is to build the church. So let's read that final verse again and we'll close. See if we have some ministry time. How are you guys doing? You doing good? Chunk of thinking for you. God is building a home. He's using us all. Irrespective of how we got here, he's using us all in what he's building. He used the apostles and the prophets for the foundation. Now he's using you. Fitting you brick by brick, stone by stone, with Jesus Christ as the cornerstone that holds all the parts together. We see it taking shape day after day. A holy temple 
the one that Haggai prophesied about. Built by God. All of us built into it. A temple in which God is quite at home. A temple in which God dwells by his spirit would be another translation. Maybe let's stand together, kind of change our posture. What was the sermon today? Take care of the goose. Feed the goose. Protect the goose. The goose is important. Don't eviscerate the goose. <laughs> Thank you. Um, uh, worship band, I would love it if you'd join me up here. Okay, let's just open ourselves up to the Lord. Father, we've read a lot of scripture, and we've heard a guy talk a lot. We know the scripture was from you, and some of what he said might have been from you too. We pray, oh God, that we will love what you love, that you will help us to lay down our lives for what you lay down your life for. We want to see the earth filled with people who know Jesus, who've been transformed by him, who in being transformed worship him with their whole lives, who understand his goodness and are taking the gospel that the kingdom of God is available to the whole world. Lord God, we submit ourselves to you. And now, here's a challenge for you to decide if you want to take. If the Holy Spirit is grabbing your heart the way he grabbed a 14-year-old's heart, to say, I'm going to spend my life on what matters to you, then before the Lord, tell him, Lord, today, I commit to you to spend my life serving you and your church, the body of Christ. I'll give you my money. I'll give you my time. I'll give you my talent. I'll give you my treasure. Because the word my should not have been in any of that. They're your money, your time, your talent, your treasure, your strength. Because I've been bought with a price and I'm not my own. I belong to you, Jesus. I commit my life to you and your purposes. Holy Spirit, come. We hope you've enjoyed this message. This weekly podcast is available on our website, gracevcf.org, where you can learn more about Grace Vineyard and our vision for people everywhere to know and worship God.